Lucas to get here. You know, it's it's our second anniversary. Oh, how great! Oh, I, I think I should go then. Oh, no, 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 just stay and talk. I mean, he's always running late anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, know. I remember. Oh, hold on one second, that's probably him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> running late. What are you doing? What am I doing? <laughs> Just getting ready for our hot date. Just cleaning up for you. He says he's cleaning up after me. What? I can't believe you. I can't believe you. Aw, she's impressed that I'm making the effort. Just you wait. Just, you wait. But I've been waiting. I've been here for like 45 minutes. Hurry up. Well, so impatient. Mmm. <gasps> oh, no. No. That's not gonna work. Don't bother. I'm coming home. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, I want to welcome all of you um, to our second week at all of our campuses to our sermon series entitled Bad Blood. And uh, if you wonder what we mean by bad blood, you, you just saw it. <laughs> it is so easy for relationships to get off track, isn't it? And so what we mean by bad blood is we mean any relationship that you might be struggling with, any relationship that's got some kind of difficulty going on with it, causing some kind of problem. And that, and that bad blood can be anything from the coworker that you have avoided because they annoy you so much or the family member or the fellow student at school that you haven't spoken to in months. And, and in your mind, you don't even care if you ever speak to them again. See, every one of us, if we stop and think about it, we laugh at that bumper video for the sermon, but we, we've all experienced bad blood happening in our relationship. And the reality is we've all experienced it. None of us want it. And here's the truth that we are kind of building this whole conversation, four-week conversation on, and that is no relationship is immune from bad blood. It's just the truth about relationships that bad blood can infect any relationship. And you saw in that bumper video how quickly it can, how misunderstandings can happen and how it can go south so quickly. Or another way to say this, and this is why this four-week conversation is so important, is this. Every relationship has bad blood just around the corner. See, this is why all relationships have these moments when they have to be guided back to a good place. And how we handle those moments, as you just watched, it really does affect the direction and the quality of our lives. Now, last week we started this conversation, we learned the source of bad blood in our relationships. And knowing the source, I'm telling you, it's so important and it's a big foundation that we are building the whole rest of these conversations on. So if you did not hear last week's conversation, I want you to make sure you go back and you listen to it or you watch it and you can watch on our website or you can watch on the app. Because see, what we discovered last week is that the source of our relational problems, the source of bad blood in our relationships, it's not what we thought it was. For most of us, we thought it was them because they are so aggravating, they're so difficult, they're so hard to get along with. 
But we learn from James that that's not what it is. In fact, to remind us, for all of you that were with us, I want you to say it with me again today. And I know it is so hard to admit because so many of you have sent me emails or texts or, or saw me during the week and you go, you just don't know how hard that is to say. So I know it takes a lot of humility and it takes a lot of intentionality, especially for a men, for us men. But here's the thing. It is essential to understand this and to admit this if we're ever going to have the quality of relationships that we love or we want to have. And it was three words, these three words, let's just say them with passion and gusto this morning. I am needy. Let's just do it one more time. So we just kind of anchor this down deep inside. Let's say it with gusto. I am needy. Now, while that is true, Please understand, having needs, if you weren't with us last week, having needs is not a bad thing. See, every one of us, there, in every one of us, there are these God-given de- needs, there are these God-given desires, and the reality is those desires and those needs are going to be anything from the desire for like emotional safety, security, self-worth, self-esteem, even companionship, you know, fulfillment, joy. See, all of those kind of things, they are God-given and they are good, and God wants to meet those needs. However, when our God-given needs get corrupted by sin, our desire to have those needs met can become such a strong urge, such a strong desire within that as James, the half-brother of Jesus said, last week we looked at this, he said, without even realizing, we begin to fight and we begin to quarrel in an attempt to get other people to meet our God-given needs. This is why James basically said in the passage we looked at last week, it was James chapter 4, he said, if you're ever going to reduce the bad blood in your life to improve the quality of your life, he says, you have to start with yourself. You have to admit, I am needy. And I have unhealthy expectations of someone in my life or other or group of people in my life in order to get my needs met. But that's not the only place that we need to look at where we, that's the first place we start. But there's a second piece within ourselves that we have to admit before we address someone else's contribution to the bad blood in our relationships. And I'm going to just tell you something. This piece requires as much intentionality and as much humility as the first step to admit that I am needy. So to get us thinking about this, I want to ask you a question and get this part of the conversation started. Here's the conversation. You can raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. Please don't point, whatever you do. (laughs) But has there ever been a time in your life when somebody wronged you? Has there ever been a time in your life where somebody lied to you? They cheated you. They they misrepresented you. They, They hurt you deeply. They trust, they broke trust with you. And here's the thing, you don't have to raise your hand because here's why. All of us could say, yeah, that's, that's us, every one of us. We all have stories of people who took something from us. And what they took, it could be something that is very tangible that they took from us, or it could be something that is very intangible, And the reality is losing the intangible stuff, it often hurts more than losing the tangible stuff. For instance, if someone stole or cheated you out of money, 
This was a big hurt in my life. I, I went into business early on. I had some partnerships and some different business endeavors. And I had one business partner who filed bankruptcy on me with $60,000 he owed me. I had another one who basically in a conniving, cunning kind of way, cheated me out of $184,000. And it took me the next 14 years of my life to pay that out and get my family back to where they needed to be. And people thought I just worked night and day because I love to work. <laughs> See, if somebody stole or cheated you out of money, I mean, I remember laying in bed thinking, $250,000, $250,000. Did you know the level of hate and rage that you can have in your life when someone cheats you out of that kind of money? But you know what even hurt even more is they took my ability to trust. They, they took financial peace. I ended up living in my in-law's basement with my wife. Man, she's such a good woman for six years getting back on our feet. Maybe they did that to you. Maybe they took your opportunity to pursue something that you intended to do with that money or that, for me, that $250,000. I had plans. I was going places. Maybe for you, it wasn't money. Maybe for you, it was parents. Maybe they, they took your sense of security. Maybe they took away your sense of knowing that you're unconditionally loved. Maybe they took away your dream to grow up in a stable, healthy family. I mean, some of you, it wasn't a parent. Maybe some of you was a spouse. I mean, they took your sense of safety, your ability to trust. I mean, your dream of just being in love, happy together forever for the rest of your life, as long as you both shall live. Maybe, maybe in the f process of the divorce, they robbed you of financial security or emotional security. So, some of you, it wasn't a spouse. Some of you, it wasn't a parent. Some of you, it wasn't like a business kind of deal. It was something else that happened, maybe through a relationship or at work. Maybe you were climbing the ladder and you felt like you were going to get the next promotion, but somebody, they kind of cunningly, craftily, they, they took your ideas and they used them for their ideas and, and they cheated you so much out of so much more than that promotion. They cost you credibility. In your mind, it was like, really? See, you lost something tangible, that promotion, and something intangible as well. Uh, others of you... And I've heard so many stories of this, and every time I hear it, it breaks my heart. You had someone take advantage of you or violate you. They, they took advantage of you physically. They took advantage of you sexually. They assaulted you. And in the process, they took away your sense of safety and security and self-worth and purity. See, the reality is every one of us we, we could tell our stories of being wronged. We could tell the stories of the deep hurt, the betrayal that we have all experienced. And we could tell our stories of the bad blood that it has caused. But for this morning, I, I want to look on the other side of the coin for just a second. And I say that and I ask you to go with me there with a lot of caution because I don't want to in any way minimize the hurt and the pain and the loss that you have felt and that you have experienced. But I'm telling you, this is so important. How we respond to being wronged, it shapes us. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you from personal experience, I can tell you this. 
and just from listening to a lot of stories over the last 20-something years as a pastor, it's just natural when we're wronged to want to hold a grudge, to get revenge. And I know that. Because I'm telling you, I, 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 could get, I, I could hold a grudge better than anybody you know. My, my intensity of anger was greater than anything that you could ever imagine. See, I know this because I've done it, you've done it. We, we've all had those imaginary conversations where you dreamed of getting back at the person who got, took advantage of you, who wronged you. And, and we just love our imaginary conversations, don't we? Because in our conversations, we set the score right. I mean, we just like dream of getting them back. And when we get them back, it doesn't just happen in a private little situation or conversation. It happens convincingly and in a crowd. And we always win and we set them straight and everybody's applauding us, high-fiving us, patting us on the back. You go, yeah. See, see, we like our imaginary conversations, don't we? And here's why we like our imaginary conversations. Because here's what we all know. Holding a grudge, it feels good, at least for a little bit. I remember laying in the bed of that basement at night, thinking what I was going to do that dude that took that hundred some, eighty something thousand dollars. I'm thinking, man, it's going to feel so good. I wasn't a pastor then, so <laughs> I could get away with a lot. No, just... <laughs> you know, the problem with holding a grudge, it didn't take me long to figure out. The problem with holding a grudge is it doesn't get rid of a bad blood. No, no, no. Here's what happens to holding a grudge. The longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge has a hold of you. I begin to realize this thing is choking the life out of me. Now, here's the thing. This is what I've learned from talking to people over the years about this kind of thing in their life. See, the usual response that we have is, man, you got to understand the longer you hold on this grudge, the longer the grudge has a hold on you. The response is something like this, and I get it because I've been there. I've done this. It goes, well, I know I should forgive, but I don't want to. I love dreaming about choking this person to death or running over them or just breaking one bone at a time. I mean, David prayed it in the Psalms, God, take my enemies over the cliff. You know, I mean, just like, I, or we say things like, well, I know I should, but I just don't think I can because they hurt me too badly. They, they wronged me too deeply. And you don't understand my story because if you understood my story, they don't deserve forgiveness for what they did. And I just want you to understand something. I, I get that. I really do. Just because of personal experience and listening to so many stories over the last 20-something years. They don't. It's why forgiveness is the only thing you can do. Because they don't deserve it. But here's the thing you got to understand. Forgiveness isn't primarily for the person who wronged you. Forgiveness is primarily for you. And I'll never forget when I began to learn this. And I began to get this. Now, here's the good news of this. God has a lot to say about this in Scripture. How to deal with this. And the Apostle Paul in a letter that he wrote to some Christians in Rome. In fact, before we read it, you need to know something, that this letter that he wrote, 
he, he talks about this issue of forgiveness. And, and you got to understand the Apostle Paul has some authority when it comes to talking about forgiveness. Because see, the Apostle Paul, he had his share of dealing with bad blood in relationships. I mean, the Apostle Paul had like bad blood on every side of his life. I mean, this is a guy, when you read his story, he's been beaten multiple times. He's been stoned. He's been falsely imprisoned. He's been betrayed. And all of this was done by religious people. In fact, we can name some other wrongs that he had to go through. So the Apostle Paul, he has not lived a hurt-free life. So he understands why this principle and this concept is so important. And so he gives us some very, very basic, foundational, important insight about this thing of how to get rid of bad blood in our relationships. Notice what he says, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul is not downplaying what happened to you. He's not saying that the way that you get rid of bad blood is to minimize the offense. He's not saying the way you get rid of bad blood is to act like it wasn't a big deal because it was a big deal. He's saying, literally, do not repay anyone evil for, everybody say this next word with me, evil. It was a big deal. It was evil. He even defines it as evil. If it wasn't evil, if it wasn't a big deal, it would not require or demand forgiveness. But here's what's so challenging about this statement. The apostle Paul is saying, you should not do what comes natural when someone does evil to you. We shouldn't repay evil for evil Here's why. Because all that does is creates more bad blood. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It only creates more heat. Instead, he says, here's how you should respond. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, to which we think, well, what is right is for them to get what they deserve because my wife and my children don't deserve to be living in her parents' basement right now. And the Apostle Paul comes along, he's basically saying, well, do you, do you want what's fair or do you want to get rid of bad blood? Because the reality is you can't do both. See, the right thing isn't always the fair thing. Fair thing. In fact, he goes on and he explains this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with Everyone. Now, this statement is so important because the Apostle Paul, he basically connects the dots for us for how that we can be at peace about a relationship even when there is bad blood in the relationship. First of all, he says, if it is possible, which means there's only so much that you can do. But you are responsible to do your part. The first thing we looked at last week is that your part is to admit that I am needy. I am, I am needy, so I could be contributing to this. However, if the other person isn't interested in doing their part, you cannot force them. But basically what he's saying is, he's saying, if you did your part to reconcile the relationship, we'll talk more about that next week. He says, then you can lay your pillow down at night, lay your head down on the pillow at night with a very clear conscience about the relationship. The other thing that the Apostle Paul, notice here, he's saying, 
That peace, he doesn't say that peace equals partnership. So like, for example, if a business partner cheats you out of money, you can choose to forgive, but that doesn't mean you should partner with them again. That doesn't mean you resume the relationship as if nothing ever happened. You have to understand something. There is a big, there's a big difference about being at peace about a relationship versus blindly trusting them. So don't confuse the two. But I don't want you to miss what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying it is possible to find peace about the relationship, even if they never do anything to make peace in the relationship. And you go, how in the world is that possible? Because the two situations I just told you about in my life, they, they never did. Think, think about it this way. Peace about the relationship begins when your demand for payment ends. That's how you can have peace about the relationship. Because see, when someone wrongs you, they take something from you, whether that's a tangible thing or an intangible thing. And most of the time, it's a combination of two. And so they take something from you that they had no right to take from you. And so now they owe you. And because either they can't or they won't repay what they took, now they have a debt to you. So you can either hold on to this debt and you stay bound to the past emotionally or you can cancel that debt. Another way of saying cancel the debt would be to forgive the debt. And here's the thing. Well, when you, fee, when you forgive others, then you free yourself from being bound emotionally to the past and you free yourself from the way that grudges make you feel or grudges make you behave, which means this, forgiveness paves, paves the way, excuse me, forgiveness paves the path to peace in a relationship. Now, when you listen to that, it can make sense intellectually but it doesn't feel emotionally satisfying because you want them to pay their debt, which is why the apostle Paul had more to say. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, to help us internalize this, I want you to think about two questions out of this passage, and they're not trick questions. According to the Apostle Paul's statement here, whose job is it to avenge you? It's God's. That's exactly right. And whenever I choose to avenge myself, whose job am I assuming? God's. That's exactly right. And don't miss this. You and I are not equipped to avenge. We're not. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability to adequately avenge. And when we try to avenge out of our humanness, what we do is we escalate the problem even more. In fact, make sure you just kind of land and park on this idea for just a moment. God is the only one with the power to rightly avenge. And here's why. Because his motive is simply justice. And the Apostle Paul, he says this, he says, one day, one day, God will ensure that all scores are settled, that all wrongs are righted. 
But here's what he's saying. If you try to hold on to a grudge or if you try to get revenge to someone who wronged you, then you are assuming a role that only God can assume. And when you do that, you get in the way of God doing what he alone is capable of doing. I love the way Tony Evans used to say it when he talked about marriage. He says, sometimes you need to duck and let God do the swinging. So what he's saying is sometimes you got to get out of the way and let God throw the punch because if you stay in the way and you try to avenge or revenge, get revenge, then you're the one that's going to take the blow from God because you're in his way. Now, here's another thing about this. When I choose to hold on to a grudge, when I try to avenge and not forgive, what I am choosing to do is not believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. So if, if, if we leave this up to God to avenge, what do we do? What do we do? Well, he tells us what to do. Next verse. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, most of us, we don't like this first part. Like, we realize he's saying, you need to bless them. You need to be good to them. You need to do kind things to them. This last part, some of us, that was probably part of our dream when we were dreaming about revenge. Let's just dump something on him, and, you know. Now, you've heard the phrase, kill him with kindness. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's actually saying that when you and I, when we are wronged, when we are hurt, when we're taken advantage of, you and I only have like two choices in how we respond. Only two. We can repay evil for evil or we can repay evil with a blessing. And here's the thing. If we really believe God is going to avenge the wrong, then we can choose to bless. We can choose to accept the apology, this is how a counselor, when I've talked about her before, Sue Gilbert told me, you can choose to accept the apology that you will never receive and forgive. Because see, here's the thing. If we really believe God is going to repay, we would feel sorry for them. If we really believe that God is going to repay, we would feel compassion, not anger. In fact, here's how the Apostle Paul sums this all up. He says, so do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, which means this. Whenever someone hurts you, you can hold on to a grudge, but in the end, holding on to the grudge, it does not hurt them nearly as much as it hurts you. See, when you seek to revenge, when you hold on to grudge, he says, basically, you eventually are overcome by evil. Don't miss that. He's saying, literally, this word overcome here is the idea, you become conquered by evil. You become controlled by evil, and you don't even realize it. And the reason you don't realize it is because evil becomes a part of you because the unforgiveness, it begins to flood your heart with the poison of bitterness and the resentment and the rage and all those unhealthy emotions. And those emotions, they begin to control what you think and how you feel and how you think about God and how you think about the church and how you think about your family and how you think about the people at your workplace and how you think about the people in your school. They begin to spill over into every other relationship that you have. Everybody becomes suspect. Everybody becomes suspect, including God. 
when you have been conquered by evil. So let me ask you a question. Who around you is suffering from the consequence of you having bad blood with somebody else? By who around you are you punishing? You don't even realize you're punishing them for the bad blood that you have with somebody else, even though they did nothing, they had nothing to do with it. Because see, here's what I learned through my experience. And, and my wife, she would beg me, please forgive, let it go, because you're just hurting us and it's making it so toxic. And I began to realize that. Because see, what I realize is that bad blood, it never just infects you and the person that wronged you. It infects anyone who comes into contact with your bitterness and your resentment and your anger and your rage, even including God. It's why some of you are so distant from God. It's why some of you are so distant from your family. It's why some of you are so distant from your friends. Because you have this wall because you're trying to protect them from experiencing that, but they still are. Please don't miss this. Even though you were wronged by somebody else, if you choose not to forgive, it is very likely that someone around you that is special to you is suffering because of your lack of forgiveness. It's probably your kids. It may be that person that you're dating. It could be your wife. It could be your fellow coworkers. It could be a fellow classmate. Maybe it's the people that work for you. Maybe it's just the people around you. Please hear this. If we don't make peace with the bad blood in our relationships, our other relationships, they are at stake. See, that's the challenging part. But it's your part to deal with. And here's the thing. We, we don't have to convince you that this is true. Because so many of you, you've experienced it. You've lived this out which is why this next statement is true, and you may want to write it down, and that is this, unforgiveness, it undermines your life and other relationships. This is why we say that forgiveness is more for, for you than it is for the person that wronged you. That's why the Apostle Paul said, hey, don't be conquered by evil. Don't, don't let it subtly grow up and control. When, and he talks about how that it'll, get a, it'll get a stronghold in your life. It'll, it'll get a beachhead in your life. And then it just takes more and more. And that's why the longer you hold on to a grudge, the longer it has a hold on you. Because it just doesn't stay stagnant in one place in your heart. It just consumes all of you. That's why he says you got to overcome evil with good. Literally, you have to respond with forgiveness and you leave justice to God to handle because he can handle it so much better than you anyhow. And here's something else that you'll discover is that God will still take you to where he wants you to be no matter what anybody else has done to you because they're not bigger than God. He can still use you to accomplish whatever he wants you to accomplish and it will not hold you back because they're not bigger than God. Now... All that said, um, there's some of you at some of our churches today and you, you have hurts and you have wounds and you have wrongs that are so painful that you are hating everything that I have said. Because the last thing that you want to do is forgive. Or maybe you're sitting here today and, and you're going, man, I'd love to forgive. 
but you don't think it's possible. You can't imagine how that you could muster up the strength or the ability to forgive. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it is not possible in your own strength. It is just not possible. But here it is possible. I can tell you that. And, and here's how I know it's possible. Because the cross of Jesus Christ made it possible. And, and don't just check out on me here on this one because you're going, okay, he's fixing to do that preacher talk thing. No, no, no. See, we've all seen pictures depicting Jesus on the cross. And whenever Jesus is depicted hanging on a cross in most drawings, he's hanging like 15, 20 feet on the air on some big cross thing, you know, and his feet are above everybody's head or at least head high. And, and that's just probably not how it happened. When, when the Romans in that part of the world crucified someone, they usually only had the person just on a tall enough pole to make sure that their feet wouldn't touch the ground. And they kept them as close to eye level with people because they wanted it to be personal. They wanted the crowd that was walking by. They wanted the crowd that was gathering around to look eye to eye with the one dying, to see the agony, to see the pain, to see the suffering in order to detour other people from committing the same kind of crime that that person on the cross did. So on the day that Jesus hung on the cross, the Romans were sending a message to everybody around. But you need to understand something. But God was sending a message too. His message was this. Hey, I want you to walk up and I want you to take a look. I want you to come face to face with the Savior of the world. I want you to look him right in the eye so that you'll never forget how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he's dying to pay the price for all the debts and all the wrong and all the sin and all the evil that you have ever done to God or anyone else. See, on that cross, if you, if I had been able to walk up there and look in the eyes of Jesus, we would see the level of love that he had for you and he had for me in that while we were still sinners, even though we had bad blood in our relationship with God and we had not asked for forgiveness yet, Jesus was dying on the cross to pay the price for all of my sin before I ever asked for it. So, so why forgive that person that you're holding on to a grudge about? Here's why. Because forgiveness paves the way to peace about the relationship, even if you never have peace in the relationship. See, that, that's what Jesus did for us. He paved the way by taking the first step and forgiving us by going to the cross. And if you can ever get yourself where you can take that step to the cross and look in Jesus in the eye and really begin to see, say, God, help me to see what Jesus did for me, how great my sin was, how great my wrong was, how great the evil that I have done toward you, God, and others. And then you understand that Jesus chose to forgive before we even asked for it. You begin to go, what, what else seems appropriate? 
after what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. See, God forgives us. His forgiveness for us, it leads to forgiveness through us. See, you can forgive once you have become the recipient of extraordinary forgiveness. And I'm just telling you, it wasn't until I was laying on that hard concrete floor in that basement one night that I began to realize that um, God had forgiven me for greater wrongs and sins against him than I would ever have to forgive anybody in this life, including the ones that had already been done toward me. Once you understand that you're a recipient of extraordinary forgiveness, then you're able to forgive. Listen, you forgive those who do not deserve it because you and I did not deserve the forgiveness that Jesus gave to us. You make peace with those who hurt you because Jesus Christ, through the cross, made peace with you. And what Jesus went through, it, he didn't deserve any of it. It wasn't, it wasn't fair. He, he had done nothing, nothing, but he forgave anyway. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote it this. And I think the Apostle Paul was reflecting back on what we're talking about this morning when he wrote this statement. He says, I want you to be kind and compassionate. And most of us as Christ followers, we think, okay, I got it. I can be kind and compassionate. And then he throws this curveball in here forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So here's a question this morning. Who are you not at peace with today? Who do you have bad blood with? Who are you holding a grudge against? Who do you hope, secretly hope they get what they deserve? I'm telling you, that kind of grudge holding onto you, it's going to undermine you. It's going to cost you more than you can imagine spiritually, emotionally, and relationally because it's going to complicate all your other relationships because everybody, including God, will become suspect. But here's the thing. You, you don't have to have bad blood anymore. I mean, even if they never ask for forgiveness, because you can embrace God's forgiveness of you, and then you can do for them what Jesus did for you. You forgive. You cancel the debt. And I'll never forget the day that I went to each of those guys and said, I forgive you. I forgive you. That debt's canceled. You got to let God avenge you and you got to overcome evil with good if you're ever going to have the kind of relationships that you really want to have. So to close out today, um, I want to challenge you to take the step, first step in paving the path to peace about the relationship by removing this infection of bad blood by choosing, and it's a process, it's, it takes time, but choosing to forgive. And maybe for the first time in a long time, this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to pray God to bless that person that you need to forgive. Say, God, I'm choosing to forgive, and I, I'm just asking you to be God and do what you need to do, but ultimately do what you're great at, and that's bless them. Because see, peace about the relationship, it only ends, or peace about the relationship only begins when your demand for payment ends. So here's what's going to happen today. As I close out in prayer, I'm going to be praying for you as you pray for that person. So all of you at all of our churches, will you bow your heads? God, for some of us, this is going to be the hardest thing we've ever done in a long time. But it's been a long time coming. God, we're going to pray for some people. We're going to speak their names, asking you to give us the strength to forgive. Allow you to avenge. but also to ask you to bless them. You said if they're hungry, if they need something to drink. And God, this, this is our first step, the path to healing, the bad blood in our relationships. Not, not just the person that we have it with who initiated it because they wronged us, but with everyone because it doesn't just stay there. So I'm going to just give you about 30 seconds here for you just to tell God, God, I, I, I want to forgive. I'm going to let you avenge. And I pray that you bless him. You just tell God what you need to say. thank you for helping us take this first step. We're going to need your help all along the way. I pray that you just keep bringing us back to the cross and help us to see the love, the forgiveness that you've extended to us so that we have the capacity to forgive as you've forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for being with us. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.